All right. I'm visiting with Dr. Phil Quirk, who is an alumni from UCI. He graduated from the School of Medicine a few years ago and is now retired as a physician and is doing a lot of sailing around the world. He's back in port here in Orange County, and I thought it'd be a great time to visit and see what he's up to. So how are you today, doctor? Oh, I'm doing great, thanks. Back on dry land for a while. Fantastic. Well, why don't we start just a little bit back when you were going to school. Where did you get your undergrad and how did you end up at UCI? Well, I I grew up in San Diego, so I went to UC San Diego undergrad and then went to UCI medical school, graduated in 79. And when you went to medical school, did you know you'd become an eye doctor? Was that always in the game plan? Not really. I mean, when I started medical school, I didn't know exactly what specialty I wanted to go into. But during school, we rotate through uh, different specialties. And uh, when I got to ophthalmology, I, I knew that was what I wanted to do. What was it about ophthalmology? Well, really, it was several things. One is it's very detailed sort of microsurgery, and that appealed to me. I was one of these kids that grew up putting little models together and painting things in real small detail. And so when I got to ophthalmology, I realized that the microsurgery part of it appealed to me a lot. And now looking back on a career, how many years did you work in that field? Well, actually, let's see. I did my residency from 80 to 83, also at UCI. Then I I just retired in 2017. So what is that, like 30, 31 years, something like that? Yeah. Can you believe the advancements in the technology, where it was when you started and where they are today? Well, that's what's amazing in ophthalmology and all of medicine, really, but especially in ophthalmology. When I first started doing, for instance, cataract surgery, average cataract surgeon took about 20 to 30 minutes to do a cataract surgery, and we didn't have the intraocular lenses and all that. So now surgeries take about five to seven minutes, and everyone gets a little plastic implant in there. Amazing. So did you always have in mind when you retired that you would do a lot of sailing? How did that all come about? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, growing up in San Diego, I was in a little community right on the coast between Del Mar and Oceanside, and my dad had always wanted to have a sailboat. So when I was about 14, he bought a small sailboat, and we kept it in Oceanside Harbor. And that's where we learned, I learned to sail, and we went out. We joined the yacht club there and did a little, few little races offshore of Oceanside Harbor there, and, and uh, that's when I learned to sail. And since then, I've been sailing with friends pretty much my whole life. And what is it about sailing for you? That's a good question. I like the outdoors. I've always been kind of an outdoors guy, bike riding, hiking, and just being growing up around the beach, you get comfortable with the ocean and the waves. And when I got onto the boat, I realized that this really appealed to me, especially the the adventure of it and the freedom of just getting out there and and just using the wind only to propel you is, is pretty cool. Yes. Did you know when you retired that you would be doing this? Well, it always was in the back of my mind. I didn't really have a specific plan at a certain point, but uh, when I got near retirement, I started to think pretty soon I'm going to have quite a bit of time on my hands and I can come up with a plan for something that I've always wanted to do. So talked it over with my wife and I uh, had a longtime buddy that I'd played music with for years and he was an avid sailor. In fact, he had a ocean-going sailboat 
I called him up and I said, hey, Rich, you know what? Let's think about getting a boat that we can take around the world. And uh, he was right up there and, and ready to do that. So my wife was on board with it too. So we, um, we started shopping for a boat. What are some of the things that you look for in a boat to be world worthy? Well, you know, that that was a learning process. It, there's different types of boats for different types of environments. And what we were looking for was an offshore cruising boat, what they call a blue water cruiser. That means is it's a very, very sturdily built boat with lots of heavy duty, uh, redundant systems in them that can get you through heavy weather and don't need a lot of maintenance or repair. All boats need quite a bit of care and maintenance, but the blue water cruisers are set up to minimize that because everything's really beefed up and heavy-duty equipment on that boat. As you became edified to what it required and so forth, did you buy a new boat? Was it a used boat? We shopped around quite a bit for a boat because uh, we had researched it and talked to a lot of people and kind of narrowed it down, but we didn't know exactly you know, what we wanted to start out with. So you know, we looked at a lot of boats and talked to a lot of people, and it turns out we found a boat in Ventura, not far from here, uh, that was a used boat. The the original owner was selling it. He'd already taken it around the South Pacific twice and up to Alaska, and now he was um, giving up the boating life, and he wanted to sell it. So we went and looked at that boat and looked to be pretty close to what we wanted. So we made him an offer and it was accepted, and uh, that's our boat now. And what kind of a boat did you end up with? Well, it's called a Hylas, H-Y-L-A-S, 46-foot monohull, not a catamaran, but a monohull, and it's called a cutter rig. It's got a mainsail and then a uh, two head sails, a Genoa and a staysail, which is good for offshore cruising. Gotcha. And when did you guys get it? We bought the boat in 2015. We spent about a year and a half refitting it, putting in things we wanted, stocking it up with spare parts, and doing general update on all the maintenance uh, to make sure it was ready to go. And when did you take it out on your maiden voyage? And where did you go? Well, let's see. We we sailed a lot around Southern Cal. We took it out to Catalina and up to the Channel Islands a little bit. And then, uh, let's see, I guess it was November of 2016. We felt we were ready to go, and uh, we recruited a crew member, and we uh, went down. We sailed from Newport down to Puerto Vallarta. That was our kind of our initial shakedown cruise. Neat. And had you gone on longer sailing trips like this before, or was this new territory for you? I'd gone on some sailing trips, uh, like from here to San Francisco, and I did a couple of the um, Newport to Ensenada sailboat races. But this was the longest trip I'd ever taken offshore. We went nonstop from Newport to Puerto Vallarta, which took us eight days. And do you recall any lessons learned from, you know, a new longer trip? Well, really, we were lucky. The weather was really fairly benign. We didn't get into any heavy weather. We had a couple of days of no wind where we had to run the engine, but that's pretty normal for this type of cruising. You have to run the engine sometimes. Um, I guess the biggest learning was that the crew member that we recruited got pretty seasick for about the first three to four days and just was pretty much confined to his bunk, not much use to us. Luckily, 
he came out of it during the last part of the cruise, and he was fine. Uh, he, it was surprising to us, though, because he was an experienced uh, racing sailor that had sailed a lot off Santa Barbara and Channel Islands and stuff. Uh, it was a surprise, I think, to him and to us uh, how seasick you can get sometimes on when you get out on these in these bigger uh, bigger waves and things. Wow, that is amazing. Is that true with seasickness that really even experienced people at any given moment, it just might happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, individuals vary in their susceptibility to seasickness. So luckily, I'm pretty resistant to it. But anyone can get seasick if the weather gets really bad and you get these waves that are bouncing you around day after day. You get fatigued and dehydrated and and even experienced sailors can get seasick. So uh, this is something that, you know, a lot of offshore sailors have to face. And that's why it's good to have a couple of people or more crew on board so that there are people that can handle the boat in case you are get incapacitated by seasickness. And what about navigation? Is it all digital now? or? Yeah, well, it's not like the old days. Back in the day when Joshua Slocum uh, sailed by himself around the world, the navigation was by compass and sextant. You know, you just measured the stars and got an approximate position of where you were and you gave land a, a big space because you didn't know exactly where you were. So nowadays we've got GPS and these uh, automated navigation systems that can really pinpoint you know, within a few yards of where you actually are. And it, it's much easier than it used to be in the old days. The, the other factor that's different now is the weather predictions. Back in the day, all the, the sailors had were basically their eyes to look at the sky and the clouds and their barometer to, to check uh, what the pressures were doing. But nowadays you can get over the internet or even if you have a satellite phone like we do on the boat, you can get charts of the weather systems and the area that you're sailing in. And you can even get professional routers that will look at the weather and tell you when it's safe to go through a certain area and how long it's predicted to take you. So it's a lot uh, easier and safer than it used to be, but still uh, predictions are not 100%. Excuse me for a moment, Doctor. For those of you who joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations with myself, your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And today we're visiting with Dr. Phil Quirk, who went to the UCI School of Medicine back in the day, but is now enjoying the life retired and doing much sailing around the world. And we learned about his first major trip to Puerto Vallarta. So, Doctor, we're interested. What happened after that? Okay, well, we uh, actually cruised stepping down the coast of Pacific Mexico for about three months. Um, we wanted to experience these nice little marinas and areas between Puerto Vallarta and Zihuatanejo and Ixtapa. There's a whole area there of several hundred miles of the Mexican coast. It's really beautiful cruising and nice little towns and great little marinas to stay in. And we had a great time cruising there till about, let's see, I guess we did that for about four months. And then we started getting the boat ready to do the crossing from Puerto Vallarta to the Marquesas, which is near Tahiti. That's the the big crossing that everyone does to get to the South Pacific. So you were leaving out of Puerto Vallarta? Yeah, we left out of Puerto Vallarta. We brought along a couple of crew members that wanted to go along for this leg of the journey. The average journey time for that leg is about three weeks. Uh, It's a commitment to come aboard and 
sail out and keep sailing for three weeks. There's no stopping, no, no place to stop. So we headed out, I think it was towards the end of March of 2017. It took us just about three weeks to get to the Marquesas. Neat. And you don't stop off in Hawaii? Is that not on the way? No, Hawaii is more in the northern hemisphere, north of the equator. So uh, we were heading south and Hawaii is really not on the way. There's really nothing between Puerto Vallarta and, and the Marquesas. And then once we got to the Marquesas, we got off the boat, got used to dry land again a little bit, reprovisioned, got food and fuel for the boat. And then we headed on to Tahiti after that. Wow. Now, I read on your blog, was there an event where your wife got thrown off the boat or fell off the boat. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was interesting. It all turned out fine, not a big problem, but it was a little scary. What happened was we were in a place called Rarotonga, which is sort of halfway between Tahiti and New Zealand. It's a little island in the Cook Islands, which is a stop off uh, on the way. It's notorious for having a harbor that it can get a little rough sometimes if the winds come around to a certain direction and waves start to come into the harbor and it can bounce the boat around. So in this particular harbor, we had to get in the dinghy to get ashore because the boat was tied up 50 yards or so off the dock. And one night we um, were coming back on the dinghy and a rope got caught underneath the front part of the dinghy uh, just as we got in. With the surge of the waves, the rope came tight and flipped the dinghy. And my wife got thrown into the water Luckily, she hung on and swam quickly over to the ladder and got out, so it it ended up fine, but uh, it was a little scary. Wow. Did you guys actually reach New Zealand? Yeah, we, um, well, let's see, after Tahiti, did Tahiti and Bora Bora, and then we sailed to the Cook Islands, the Rarotonga. From there, we went to an island called Nui, just a small island about uh, 400 miles west of Rarotonga. Then we went to Tonga, uh, which is a group of islands, uh, sort of near Fiji. And we stayed there for about a month, just enjoying that island, doing some scuba diving and just exploring around these beautiful islands. And then we uh, sailed to New Zealand, ending up in uh, the North Island, a place called the Bay of Islands. Did you fly back from there or did you guys actually sail back? No, we uh, we. Flew back. Uh, the boat is still there in the Bay of Islands, and we flew back, my wife and I, for the holidays. And then in another month or so, we're going to fly back to New Zealand and do some land based travel exploring New Zealand before we head back this next summer. We're going to uh, take the boat and sail it back up to Fiji. Fantastic. Out of all the places that, that you've visited so far, any memorable spots? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're all memorable. As I say, we um, we really enjoyed the coast of Mexico. The Marquesas, when we first got there, that was our first landfall after crossing the Pacific. Just beautiful, lush, volcanic islands with this interesting native culture. The people that live there are relatively isolated. They don't get cruise ships and things in there. So we were kind of a novelty that the, the the uh, yachtsmen are treated with lots of hospitality, and the people were very friendly and interesting there. Uh, that was probably our favorite spot culturally. Tahiti and Bora Bora were beautiful. The water in Bora Bora is so crystal clear, it's like swimming in an aquarium. It was absolutely gorgeous. Wow. It sounds really neat. How about the nights? Well, if you're talking about sailing at night, that's one of my favorite parts of sailing especially when you get out offshore where there's no light pollution, you're away from cities and towns. And if if there are no clouds at night, the stars that come out are just unbelievably numerous. I had no idea 
that the Milky Way was so milky. When you get out there, it's just like this big band of milk across the sky that you, you're not aware of when you look at it from civilization. And the sailing at night, sometimes we got into the phosphorescent water, and when the waves break across the bow and come across the wake of your boat, it, these sparkly pinpoints of light just kind of light up your wake. It's really kind of magical. And what about fish life? Any do you, whale sightings or dolphin sightings? Yeah, we um, no whales on the major crossing. We did see whales in Tonga and uh, in Tahiti. Uh, when you're out in the open ocean, you don't usually see a lot of sea life. Sometimes uh, dolphins, a group of dolphins, will come around the boat. But uh, once you get close to land, when we got close to the Marquesas or close to Tahiti, then. You start seeing a lot of bird life. Uh, the dolphins are really numerous, coming up to the boat and jumping on the bow, and a few whales. So uh, yeah, we had we had quite a bit of sea life. And then when we got to Tonga, we went diving with a little local group of professionals that took us out to see the humpback whales. In Tonga, the whales come to have their calves certain times of year. So when we got in the water, we encountered a, a mother whale with her newborn baby calf. And they were not afraid of us. We were, we'd swam up with just a few yards of the baby, and it was very interesting. Wow. Wow. So, Doctor, your adventures have been mostly in the Pacific. Will you, do you have thoughts of, of going on from there? Well, yeah, our plan is to spend another season, this coming season, in the Pacific, going to Fiji and Vanuatu and possibly New Caledonia, and then um, back to Australia next uh, winter. From there, we plan to sail up through Indonesia and up to uh, Singapore. So that's, that's our coming one, one to two-year plan. Very good. Doctor, as you reflect, or have you reflected, on your career and your life choices, do you, do you have any observations about UCI and, you know, just, just observations about your life at this point? Well, I would just say that I, I consider myself very lucky. I was able to have a great career in medicine and raise my family in Southern Cal and stay healthy, knock on wood. So I made the right choice for myself as far as medical specialty. Ophthalmology was great to me and I'm able to fulfill one of my lifetime dreams of doing this type of sailing. So I, th I think I've been very lucky. Doctor, can people follow your travels? Well, yeah, we have a blog site set up that you can go to that we update periodically with text and photos. If you want to go to it, it's on uh, saleblogs.com. And in the browser button, you, uh, a browser area, you type in DQQ. Then that will bring up our blog and you can read all about it. Neat. How about any advice for students today at UCI? Well, I would just say decide what you like and then try to make that happen. It, there's so much opportunity out there, especially in medicine. The, the technology is fascinating and keeps getting better and better all the time. And despite what you might hear, I, I still think medicine is a great career. If you're interested in helping people and, and you like technology, I would encourage anyone who has that inclination to, to pursue it. It's, it's a great field. Doctor, thanks a lot for being with us today. It's been an adventure to uh, hear about all your travels, and we look forward to following you on the blog and 
All our best for 2018 and beyond. Thank you. Thank you very much.